Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. Hope you're doing well. So good to see you. Love the amen corner over here, the shouting out, Mike, that's, that's awesome. Hey, if you're a guest, we're so glad to have you worshiping with us today. Uh, and today's a special day because we are wrapping up our series that we've been doing for the last three weeks. It's a three-part series on global outreach. We do this series every single year. The theme is different, so the talks are a little different. But we want to put in front of ourselves and remind ourselves, God put us on planet Earth for a reason, and that is to reach the people that do not yet sing and praise His name. And so that's what this is all about. We started this series talking about God's heart for the lost, because our theme this year has been God's heart. And then we, we said we would take the other two weeks and talk about two very specific groups of people on the Earth right now that quite often just get set aside at least from our American perspective. And so last week we had uh, the director of RUN Ministries or uh, the director of Global Out Initiatives for RUN Ministries. And RUN stands for Reaching Unreached Nations. His name is Sam Skaggs, a friend of mine who came and shared with us what God is doing among the unreached nations, predominantly among the Muslims, because that's largely how that works out. And uh, some people are saying, hey, uh, when is that going to be online? Because I want to catch that. And the bad news is is it's not going to be online. And the reason for that is because the stories that he shared that are happening in those places uh, were way too detailed and uh, very specific to what, what God is doing and would actually get some people in trouble, some lives endangered. And, and so unfortunately, if you were in the room, you, you're, you were amazed, right? I mean, who was here last week? That was amazing, wasn't it? And um, if you weren't here, you're not going to get to hear that. So that's God's way of just reminding you you should go to church every week. Anyway, so we're going to close out the series by talking about another group of people that honestly uh, we don't think about a lot, at least not when we come to church, and that is Israel, God's heart for the Jew. And so uh, last year, early in 2018, um, actually a little earlier than that, I, I began a journey of trying to figure out what God wanted to do with Israel, and I was on a trip in early 2018. Uh, with our guest speaker today, uh, and uh, we began some conversations about God's heart for Israel and, and really ended up shaping me and what, what I thought. It turns out that, that I had uh, kind of started thinking something that was a little off base, and I'm going to save more of that for after he talks, but um, here's the thing. I, I could share with you the information that I've learned from him. But it would, it would just be that. It would be information. So what I've done is I've asked him to come and share with us today because it's his heart and it's his passion. And you're going to figure that out real fast just as soon as he begins speaking. So if you guys would help me give a wonderful Grace Life welcome to my friend David McQueen, pastor of Beltway Church from Abilene, Texas. Yeah. Hi, good afternoon. And it's so good to see you guys here at Grace Life. I bring you greetings from Abilene, Texas. Everybody knows where that is, right? Yeah. Actually, we're I-20 cousins. I don't know if you know that or not, but if you decide you want to go to Abilene, just get on I-20, go west in about two days. You're going to show up there. We are 1,200 miles away. Good news is you hit the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You're only three hours from Abilene, Texas, right in the middle of nowhere. But I promise you, God is no respecter of people. 
because he's doing a work in a town not more than about 125,000 people touching the nations of the earth. And I'm telling you, I get the same sense when I come here. When I stepped in this building, I'm telling you, if you don't get it, I, your spiritual antenna's off or something because there is destiny here. You can sense it, you can feel it from this place. God wants to touch the nations of the earth. And I'm so, I'm so excited about what you guys are doing and your global outreach. I'm excited about the emphasis. And what I want you to do this afternoon is think that way. What I need you to do for a few minutes is go beyond the consumerism that is normal to America. Normal to even our Christian lives. Thinking just by ourselves. I need us to think a little bit broader. Because I promise you when God's doing his purpose in the world, it affects all of us in a great way. It brings a lot of things. What was talked about last week, man, I'm so sad if you missed it. I will tell you when we can talk about what RUN is connected to. 30 networks of underground churches that together represent 1.5 million house churches and growing. I mean, just get that. In the nations of the earth where no one thinks there's any believers, 1.5 million house churches, 25 million believers and growing. And I believe it's connected to that which we're talking about this afternoon. So I'm so, um, I'm so blessed that Pastor Jimmy allowed me to come. You've got a special pastor. A special man who serves here, a special leadership that serves here. Yeah, come on. Yeah, come on. Come on. All that is happening is not accidental. It's representative of what God has promised, that those before us saw it. And we're actually in the generation that might get to see it. So I want you to think with me for a second about a question. Why is it that we see Israel in the news all the time? I mean, you know I'm telling you the truth, right? You can turn on the news, you get on Fox News. If that's your flavor, you can get on USA Today. If that's your flavor, it matters not, right? And there's going to be something about Israel on the front of those web pages. It's going to be on the evening news. Right now, the talk is the rock is coming from Gaza into southern Israel, the response of Israel back into Gaza. But if it wasn't that, it was going to be about the formation of the government or the lack of formation of a government. Or it might be a terrorist attack or it might be something like that. All the time, there is talk about Israel, a disproportionate amount of talk about Israel given their size and given their influence in the world. I mean, did you know that the nation of Israel's landmass is about equal to that of the state of New Jersey? Our fifth smallest state. They really don't have an export product that shifts the world. They, they don't really have anything. They, they're high in technology, but for the most part, they don't have oil, though they found a deposit of oil off the coast. They're not exporting oil, so there's no natural resources that we need. The gross national product is really respectable. It's 38th in the world which is great for a nation of seven and a half million people, but the country of Indonesia actually has double their gross national product. And I would challenge you haven't heard about Indonesia in a long time. Many of us, if we were honest, couldn't find it on a map because we're Americans and we just don't think much outside of America, right? But we know what's going on. See, I'm just telling you in this, Israel isn't in the UN um, um, Security Council. They're not considered a superpower. So why so much talk about them? Why so much interest in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the civil war that's going on in the land? Did you know there are 17 civil wars going on around the world right now? Can you name any of the other 16? But yet we all know about the Israeli-Palestinian one. Why? Believe it or not, I think the Bible actually tells us that. I think it gives us some promises of what God wants to do. The Bible tells us this is all connected to God's plan, not just for the Jewish people, but God's plan and purpose for the rest of the world, us included. And there's an enemy trying to thwart all this. So please, please hear me well. The temptation right now is to think, well, this doesn't have to do with my exact Tuesday morning life. It doesn't have to do with my, my, my world. I, I get that. 
But I'm asking you, don't turn me off. Don't get on your phone right now and check the scores of the football games. Don't tell me how the Cowboys are doing. It's probably not good, okay? We in Texas are struggling right now. You need to pray for us. See, there's actually a joke that floats around Texas about this time every year. It goes like this, that there was a man who made a request. He asked that the Dallas Cowboys be the pallbearers at his funeral. And somebody asked why, and he said, well, I just need the Cowboys to let me down one more time. Come on, that was funny. I don't care who you are. We're wrestling right now. So I'm telling you, don't get on your phone. Don't pass the time. Don't, don't start tweeting that Pastor Jimmy brought this guy in from Texas and he's got an irrelevant message going on. I promise I'm going to get to how it impacts you. But I need you to think with your gospel mind right now. I need you to think beyond kind of what we do normally. If you are a grandparent, if you are a parent, if you care about the next generations and you want the next generations to have something of greatness among them, I promise you this matters. Is there not a sense within you as we look at the world that something else should exist beyond what we have? That our world is in trouble, that our world is messed up. And we begin to have a hopelessness. And there is a promise tied to our world and tied to our lives that are tied to the Jewish people. See, I understand that that's a huge statement, and I just want you to stick with me. So maybe you have a Bible, and you want to open it up. You can open it to Romans chapter 11 if you want. Now, some of you know you're going to throw these on the screen, and that's great, but I want you to log in your mind, maybe write in a set of notes, Romans 9, 10, and 11. This week, I want you to read Romans 9, 10, and 11, because there's a staggering promise in the 12th verse of Romans 11. It says, but if their transgressions means riches for the world, their losses means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches? Say greater riches. Get that image in mind. You may not understand what riches are and greater riches are, but I know this, we all like riches and we all want greater riches. We know here he's not just talking about finances as we say, think as Americans typically. He's talking about something much greater and much broader. But he said, if their losses... If their failure means riches right now, how much greater riches will their fullness be? Look at the verse. There is a promise that something far greater than what we've ever seen or experienced on planet Earth right now is going to come to planet Earth, and it's tied somehow to the fullness of the Jewish people. You see, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul is answering a question that rose up in the early church. 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, people are beginning to wonder, is God done with the Jewish people? Is God finished? See, way back in the very beginning of the Bible, God made a promise to a man named Abraham. You've probably heard of him, right? God said to Abraham, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. I will establish my covenant with you as an everlasting covenant between me, you, and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give us an everlasting, see the word everlasting, do you think God knows what that means? He who has no beginning and has no end? I will give it to you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. God made a promise. A promise that many began to struggle with over the centuries. You see, when Paul wrote these letters to the church in Rome, there were more Gentiles. Gentiles is a word that just means non-Jew. There were far more Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, than there were Jewish people. There were some Jewish people, but there weren't near as many. You see, Jesus came to the Jews, but the Jews rejected him. They turned him over to the Romans. Remember that. It wasn't the Jews who technically killed Jesus, was it? The Jews rejected him, they turned him over to the Romans, and it was a Roman governor who sentenced him to death. So it wasn't the Jews that caused Jesus to die, it was Jews and Gentiles together. 
If you really want to get technical at who killed Jesus, you just got to look in the mirror. But it was because of our sin that the Father sent his son. It was because of us and taking the penalty of our sin that Jesus died. So we don't blame the Jews. We don't blame the Romans. We look at ourselves and we're thankful to the Father. The Jews rejected the Messiah promised. They put him in the hands of the Romans. The Romans nailed him to a cross. He goes to a grace. He overcomes victorious death, hell, and the grave. But Jewish people still don't really believe he is the one promised by the prophets of old. According to Romans 11, verse 12, it says they transgressed. They failed. And since the Jewish people transgressed and failed when it comes to Jesus, followers of Jesus begin to speculate, maybe God is done with the Jews. I mean, they rejected him, so maybe he's finished. In fact, did you know followers of Jesus have taught through the last 2,000 years, that what really happened is God replaced the promises to the Jewish people with the church. The church has become the new Israel. The church has taken the place of the promises of God, and we are now, if I may, Israel. It's actually what I believed and what I taught um, up until about the year 1999, the year 2000. I was a, a young pastor at that time. Um, and I wanted a mentor, a spiritual father. And so there was a guy that had the same denominational heritage as I did and I named Dr. Don Finto. Dr. Don Finto had taught at university levels, had an earned doctorate and things, but he also pastored a great church in Nashville, Tennessee. And I wanted to learn from this guy who pastored a great church. Now, he also had this thing with the Jewish people that to be honest with you, I didn't get. I thought it was just honestly weird. And I thought it was tied somehow to his end time, his beliefs about the end times and how Jesus was going to come back. And I didn't quite share those end time beliefs. And I knew to have Don Finto, I had to kind of put up with that. And I was willing to put up with the weird Jewish stuff so that I could learn from his leadership and such. And so I offered to travel with him. I offered to carry his bags. Anything I could do, just hang out and ask questions. And so he offered to take me on a trip. And I said, yes. And on that trip, our first trip together, he pulled out the manuscript, what I learned later was the final professionally edited, proofed manuscript of his new book called Your People Shall Be My People about the Jewish people. He said, I want you to read this while we're going on this trip. And I thought, awesome, I'll do that. But see, I interpreted read this as give input to this. See, I, I was a young man more arrogant, amazingly, than I am today. See, I'm not the only one Jesus is still working on, am I? And so Jesus is still changing me, still working. He was doing it then. And so I actually pulled out a pen, and I am... Um, making comments and changes to Dr. Don Fento's final manuscript, professionally edited, etc. He's just smiling the whole time, being as sweet as could be. And then I came to a point in the book where he talks, starts talking about the 11th chapter of Romans. And I, I promise you, I could swear in court that those verses weren't in the Bible. I was so convinced that I stood up to get my Bible out of the overhead bin. Remember, the year is about 2000. This is well, well before you had your iPhone, your Bible app, or anything like this. We had this radical thing back then called paper. And, and we, we opened books and things, and I had to get my Bible out. I stood up, and he asked, he said, Dave, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting my Bible out. And he goes, why? I said, I think you're misquoting Romans 11. See, I, I've read it numerous times. I've taken classes on it in seminary. I've translated great portions of it out of the Greek, and I've never seen this. I don't think it's in there. I think you're misquoting he laughed. Now, he says to this day he was laughing with me, but we both know he was laughing at me at that moment. And he said, I'm pretty confident that my quotes are accurate. And so I get my Bible, just like I asked you to do. I open it up to the 11th chapter of Romans, and I read some of the verses we've looked at and we're going to look at here in a minute. And I had a God encounter at 35,000 feet on Southwest Airlines. I said out loud, oh, my God, how have I never seen this? 
that the riches of the world are tied to what God is yet to do, that there are promises yet to be fulfilled. At that juncture in my life, I had never met a Jewish person. I, I say I met one. I grew up in a small Texas panhandle oil town. I went to school in Abilene, Texas. I went to a church in Lubbock, Texas to be on staff, and I came back to Abilene to pastor the church I'm at right now 21 years ago. There's no Jewish population in any of the communities I've ever lived in. Nothing of significance. I didn't have this great download of love for the Jewish people, but I do know that when I came back from the trip we were on to Nashville to Don's home, I met for the first time a Jewish follower of Jesus, a Messianic Jew, a man who said, I'm Jew through and through, but I'm a follower of the Messiah who is Jesus of Nazareth. And he had came to a place of faith while living as a hippie, literally in a cave in New Mexico. And God gave a supernatural encounter to him. And he became a leader and got called to the people and he had moved his family, his eight-month pregnant wife, to Israel a few years earlier to share the gospel of Jesus with his people. His name is Eitan Shishkoff. He's a dear friend. And I looked at him at that first meeting and I told him my story. And I said, Mr. Shishkoff, I'd like to tell you I have this massive love for the Jewish people right now, but I don't. But I see a prophetic promise in Scripture. The promise says that if I bless, that God will bless me. And what I mean by blessings, I don't need more stuff. What I mean is if I sow into the salvation of your people, then I'm going to reap salvation in my people. And I'd like to tell you with all honesty that I love your people, but I don't. I don't dislike them. I just don't know them. I don't love them, but I absolutely love the people of my city. And I want to see their eyes open to the gospel. And if I will sow into what you're doing to bring salvation to your people, I'm going to reap salvation among my people. And so if you'd let me, I'd like to use you, Mr. Shishkoff. I know that sounds weird, but I am going to send resources to you to reap salvation among us. And he had a big old sweet smile. And he said, use me all you want. In fact, if you want to double your use every year, just go ahead and do that. And I will be great with it. And we've been partners, planted three congregations since then. Chad that you saw in the video is one of our partners now. King of Kings, who you're partnered with, is incredible at what they do. God is beginning to do a stirring in the world right now. Hear me in this. If they're transgressions, means riches for the world. Their losses mean riches for the Gentiles. How much greater riches? Somebody say greater riches. Come on, you may not know what I mean. How many of you want greater riches in your life? Hands up. See, you want it. How we want greater riches will their fullness bring. Hear me. Greater riches for all, for you and I, for the world, are coming as Jewish people awaken to Jesus. If you look back at the first verse of Romans 11, it says, I asked then, did God reject his people? The answer is emphatic, by, by no means. This is good news for us, by the way. Think about it. If God would renege on his promise to Abraham, what makes he think he wouldn't renege on his promises to us? The existence of the state of Israel should shout to you and I, God is faithful. God is faithful to his promises. He is incapable of being anything less than faithful. God has not rejected his people. Paul tells us why in verse 5. So too then at the present time there's a remnant chosen by grace. Meaning there's a small number of Jewish followers of Jesus 30 years after Jesus relative to the number of Gentiles. They are small. They're not, the people of, uh, of Israel had not come to believe in Jesus in mass. Have not done so until their day. But there is a believing remnant. The reason for the remnant, Paul says in verse 7... What then, what Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, the few, but the others were, notice the word, were hardened. 
as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that could not see, ears that could not hear to this very day. That quote, by the way, Paul is giving us from Isaiah chapter 6. We'll get to it here in a minute. He is saying that something is still going on. It's prophesied by Isaiah. Many people were hardened. Could not believe at this point. Why? Again, I ask verse 11. Did they stumble so far as to be beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to whom? The Gentiles to make Israel envious. It took the hardness of the Jewish people to make it possible for Gentiles, which I would imagine is all of us, if not the vast majority of us, to come to Jesus. Their rejection made it possible for us to come to faith. And our role is to so love our Jewish Savior, to so love Jesus, to be so enamored with his greatness, to be so overwhelmed with his goodness to be so filled with his hope and his love and his righteousness, which is the fruit of the kingdom, that the people around us become envious, that they would say and look at our lives like, I don't know what you have, but I want what you have. Come on. And if we do that as a whole, then Israel, the Jewish people around the world begin to say the same thing. We want what you have. We are to live such a life until a day comes. Because a day is coming when, according to Roman level, the, Romans 11, that the full number of Gentiles comes to know their Lord and Savior. And when that happens, Israel in mass will open their eyes to Jesus. Romans eleven twenty five. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brother, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part. God's not finished. Until the full number of Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. Don't mishear Paul here. Paul is using a literary device called hyperbole, exaggeration. He is not saying that every Jewish person who ever lives is going to be saved. The only way a person can be saved is by giving their life um, to God through Jesus Christ. Embracing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But a day is coming when the eyes of Jewish people are going to be opened in such mass. And we're going to look up one day and says, it seems like every Jewish person in the world has been saved. All of Israel will be, seem like it's been saved. And when that happens, there's going to be unleashed of greater riches in the world. I mean, come on, what would it look like if there was an outbreak of the goodness of the gospel of Jesus that flooded planet Earth. That's the significance of what we are talking about right here. Please hear, this is no small thing. C.H. Spurgeon, a preacher from the mid-1800s in London, one of the most famous preachers that have been out there, he said before Israel became a nation, almost 100 years before, before Jerusalem became its capital, he says, I think we do not attach enough importance to the restoration of the Jews. But certainly if there's anything promised in the Bible, it is this. The day shall come when the Jews, who by the way were the first apostles to the Gentiles, the first missionaries to us who were afar off, that they're going to be gathered in again. Until that shall be, the fullness of the church's glory can never come. Matchless benefits to the world are bound with the restoration of Israel. Their gathering shall be as life from the dead. We today have to open our eyes and see that maybe the beginning of that is among us. See, I'm going to challenge that maybe we're at the beginning of the opening of Jewish eyes. The prophet Isaiah, when told that he would prophesy to Israel that they would have eyes but do not see, ears that do not hear, the spirit of stupor, he said, God, how long? And he said, until the cities no longer lie in ruin, until the land is no longer devastated. Up until 1948, Israel was a devastated land. 
Mark Twain actually made a visit to Israel. You need to read what he writes about it. He was so disappointed, he called it a barren wasteland. The Turks, when they oversaw, the Ottomans, when they oversaw Israel, uh, among the Jews, they taxed trees. So if you had a tree on your property, you had to pay tax on every tree you had on your property. So if you wanted to avoid paying taxes, what did you do? You cut your trees down. It was real simple. So have you ever heard, like, when you say, go to Israel and plant a tree? That's where the idea came from because the people had to cut down all the trees and they turned it into a swamp. Turned into a barren wasteland. It was nothing. No one wanted it. But God in his sovereignty called the Jewish people back and they began to restore the land. I hope that you get to go on a pilgrimage to Israel someday. Your church is going in a, in a season and you need to listen about going because it's more than a vacation. There's some, I've, I've led hundreds of people to Israel. There's something of an awakening. It's inexplicable. It's what the ancients did. They called it a pilgrimage. And what you're going to see is the land is no longer in waste. The houses are not in ruin. There are 7.5 million people, 7 million of them Jewish men and women who are living in that land. According to the prophet Isaiah, this should be the time. This should be the day, and I think we're seeing the beginning of it. There are more Jewish followers of Jesus today than there ever been in human history. There's 400,000 that we can count around the world. A remnant of 20,000 given testimony to Jesus in the land of Israel. In correlation to that, did you know that as Jewish eyes have begun to be opened, that there are more people on planet Earth that follow Jesus today than ever? That as Jewish people's eyes have begun to be opened, that there are more and more people who are following Jesus on planet Earth, that the greater riches have begun. What might happen if that goes on a sudden increase because of the work of God that he has promised to it? What would happen if we as a people just start asking the Lord to make it happen? If we began to believe his promises because we get to see a little bit of what's happening. Do you hear it? You and I live in a special age. See, there, everything that has happened up till now in history, Paul called lesser riches. See, there's, there's actually a, a I, won't, I won't call it a science because it's not a science, but there's a, a hobby that some people ha have, and they call it counterfactual history. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but counterfactual history is this idea that people want to speculate what the world would be like if a certain event or a certain group of people or a certain something didn't happen. So the question is right, would rise, what, ha what would not be in the world today if Christians didn't exist? If Jesus had not come, had not done what he had done, the people embraced him as a follower, what would not exist, what would not be if that were not, not happened? What would history show? And I can't tell you for sure because it's all speculation, but I know this. There's a chance you would not have a hospital to go to when you were sick because it was followers of Jesus who were the first one um, compelled by the love of God to help people when they sick and couldn't be made healed. The first hospitals were established by Christians. There's a chance you could not read because it was followers of Jesus who believed the masses deserved to read. And the reason they believed that masses deserved to read is because the scripture was being printed for the first time ever and it's going to be put in the hands of people. And they wanted everybody, not just the elite, not just the clergy, but everyone to be able to open the scripture and learn of the revelation of God through Jesus Christ that is found in the Holy Scripture. If you wanted to go to university, you probably wouldn't be able to go to one because it was Christians who started the first universities. Many of the universities that have big names in our culture that don't seem very Christian at all are actually started by Christians. Like the first universities in America, Harvard and Yale, both um, started to train pastors to start churches in the new world. 
You'd never know that today, but you walk their campuses, their scriptures etched all through the stone of the original buildings on those campuses, all started by believers. You look at the nation, the things that we hold so valuable, like capitalism, free enterprise, representative government, the separation of political power, civil liberties for all citizens, all greatly influenced from what our founding fathers found in the scripture. The abolition of slavery, both in antiquity and in modern time, was always spearheaded by followers of Jesus. It was George Whitfield and other preachers who proclaimed for the first time against slavery. It was politicians of faith that be able to get to stand against it and such. You look at the modern slave industry and don't think there's not modern slavery. It is as, as rampant in our world, it's just underground, it's nasty. And so much tied to the sex industry, it, 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 it's a vile thing. You want to know who's spearheading the end of that. And almost always you will find those who are followers of Jesus. It's men and women like that. Who stands for the sanctity of life among all people? In antiquity and today, it's followers of Jesus. Do you know in the days of Rome, in the days of Jesus, the Romans practiced a thing called exposure. If you didn't like the child that you got, that child was born, they would just put the child on a trash heap and let it die of exposure to the elements. It was followers of Jesus who started picking up these children and raising them as their own. It was followers of Jesus who ended that in the Roman Empire. And to this day, it's followers of Jesus who stand for the right of the unborn. See, I'm telling you, followers of Jesus have done tremendous things. You think about the hope that people have. Do you have any hope in your life right now? Do you have any peace in your life right now? Do you have any joy in that all comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the Apostle Paul said, all that we've experienced in the world, all the great things that are happening, I know there's been some bad things done in the name of Jesus, but I'm telling you, compared to the great things, they are minuscule. And the Bible says all those here are lesser riches compared to what is to come. Greater riches are going to come to all as there's an awakening of our heart to the Jewish people. So I'm asking you, would you begin to do one thing? Would you begin to pray? Would you begin to pray that God would open their eyes? Because there's a spiritual battle going on. See, I know your temptation right now to say, is that all we do? Is we say, man, we want to pray. I'm telling you, as you pray, God will link us to opportunities. He will link us with people that we can partner with. He will link us with people we encourage with. What we got to do is pray because there's a spiritual thing going on. And God wants his children to cry out for the salvation of Israel and for the greater riches of the world. I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to see in eyes of faith. See, I'm asking you to see that the 1.5 million underground house churches that have birthed in the last 15 years are not accidental. That there's a move of God in Iran. There's a move of God in Afghanistan. There's a move of God in Pakistan. And it's not absent of anything else. As Jewish eyes have begun to open just in minuscule ways, there's a move of the Almighty in places we never thought he would move. Taliban are coming to Jesus. Jihadists. 6,000 of our brothers and they are our brothers because we Grace Life Beltway are connected to run ministry 6,000 of them just went to Mecca for those millions making Hajj and there they at risk of their life shared the gospel hour after hour day after day it's incredible what's going on and all that's happened is we just begin to see a sprinkling of Jewish eyes open See, most people don't know that there's a tribe in Zimbabwe, Africa, called the Limba. The Limba have been found by Israel to be the most genetically pure Jews in the world. They're part of the lost tribes from the ten tribes of northern Israel. 
And they've been down there holding to Jewish traditions and practice all these years. And now people are taking the message of the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah to them. And in mass, they are starting to bow their knee to a great king called Jesus. And they're giving their lives to him. It's happening among the people of Ethiopia. It's happening among a people group in India that are all Jewish by genetics, all holding to Jewish traditions. But they are seeing that the promised Messiah they've been looking to has already come and they never heard of him. And his name is Yeshua. Jesus of Nazareth and they are turning to him what would happen if that just begins to happen more and more in mass that's what I'm asking you to pray into Grace Life that's why I showed up here that's why I want you to see something beyond yourself the scripture declares I've posted watchmen on your walls O Jerusalem they will not be silent day or night you who call on the Lord Give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her a praise on the earth. So every time you hear Israel mentioned in the news, I want you to pray. You say, David, you'll have me praying every day. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be long and drawn out. You just read it on the news site, on the internet. You hear it on the news and the radio. You see it on the TV and you just stop and say, God, open their eyes. Open their eyes. I'm not asking you to make decisions about what's going on in the Middle East. You don't have to choose between Arab and Jew. And the reason you don't have to choose is because God doesn't choose. He loves them both equally. God doesn't love Jewish people more than he loves everybody else. He just has a sovereign choosing, a sovereign plan for Jewish people. If you want to love Arabs, one of the greatest ways you can love Arabs is to pray that Jewish eyes will be open because it's going to unlock greater riches for Arabs. It's going to unlock greater riches for the people of Colombia. You're praying for your family to know Jesus. Begin to pray for the Jews as well because greater riches. You want to see salvation among the people around you. Begin so into Jewish people. The gospel is first to the Jew, Paul said, and then to the Gentile. It is the power of God for anyone who would believe. And so I'm asking you, give God no rest. Give him no rest. Have eyes, gospel eyes, that would dare see that there's something more. Jesus said at the end of time that there would be a rising of the tares and the rising of wheat, that evil and good would rise. I don't think anybody among us would say that evil is not on the rise in our world. With all the advancements of technology, all the economic prosperity that exists has not solved the ills of humanity. In fact, I would challenge it as exacerbated it because the issue is not prosperity, it's not technology, it's the human heart and only Jesus can do the human heart. The tares are growing, but I promise you the wheat is growing at the same time. Open your eyes and let's pray for the glory of God to do something in a great way. So we're going to end by doing something a little bit different. All you guys at the 1230 service, what I want you to do, brother or not, stand up with me, and I want you to face that wall. To my left, your right, I want you to turn your body, boom, and do that, because that direction is east, and we're going to use east, which faces Jerusalem, as a touch point for Jewish people around the world. I know there's a massive population to our left up in New York City. I know there's a massive population in Boca Raton to our right. I know they're all over. We're going to use Jerusalem as our touch point for Jewish people around the world. I would ask, if you're comfortable doing so, extend your hand. And let's pray that God would open Jewish eyes. Father, I, first of all, we say thank you. That the hope that we have, the peace that we have, the joy that we have is because you sent your son. You sent him to a man and a woman who were Jewish. He was born of Jewish parents. He studied in the synagogue, Father. He worshiped in that way. We, Father, have hope. 
peace and righteousness in our lives because you chose to reveal yourself through Jewish men and women. We are thankful for the patriarchs. We're thankful for those who wrote our scripture. We're thankful for the example of Abraham and of Paul, of David of old and of Peter and the way they spur us on to faith, all people of faith from this people you have chosen. But we also know, God, that there's still something yet to come. And we turn eyes of faith and ask that it would be in our day. We ask, oh God, that this would be the hour. We say, oh God, that we look at the land of Israel and we know it is no longer in ruin. We know the houses are inhabited. And we say, now is the time for Jewish eyes to be opened. And so we ask, oh God, would you do a work in our day? Let our eyes see it, Lord. Let our kids see it and our grandkids see it. We ask for an awakening because we long to see all that you want to do on planet Earth. There are billions who do not know you and we want them to know you. We want them to know the hope that we have and the joy that we have and the peace that we have. And we know it is tied to Jewish eyes being open. And so, Father, we bless Israel with eyes that see, ears that hear, hearts that are open to your love for them that was shown in Jesus. Let them believe we ask, oh God, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you, guys. Go ahead and take your seats for just a, just a minute here. You know, anytime that you speak on Israel, people automatically assume it's political. And I want you to understand this, this wasn't political. We don't do politics. I don't even talk about American politics in this room. In this room, we talk about Jesus, and that's it. This was not a political, it was a spiritual thing. And the reason that we've done this series the way that we have, theming it about God's heart, but then talking about some groups of people is because we, we tend to make everything about us. And that's all we see, and it is so easy. You walk down the street or you meet an angry person in America, and you say, well, you know what? That's their problem. There's a church in every corner. They could go to one. They could be nice. They could be a Jesus follower. They're their own problem. And we can, we can not worry about the lost. And then we look at the news and, and we see what's going on in the world and we think, well, the Muslims. I even had a Christian pastor tell me the answer is if we could just blow them all up. And then when we think about Israel, we think, well, you know, they had their chance. You know, they literally had Jesus physically walk the land, do miracles raise the dead and they missed it and it's easy for us to go well you know my neighbor that wouldn't come to church last day, I invited him to church their own fault those Muslims that's their problem Israel that's none of this is politics this is opening our eyes to something other than ourselves this is helping us to see that God has a heart for his children and when God looks at the world he sees two groups of people those who know his son is their king those who don't. Those who will have eternal fellowship with him and those who won't. That's what he sees. And so I hope that this series has opened your eyes. I hope that it has inspired you to think beyond yourself. I hope that it maybe has even inspired you geographically to something God could call you to do. But I hope it's, if nothing else, begun to align your heart with God's heart. That's what this has all been about. Before we finish, I want to talk about these little cards that were on your seats when we came in. We are taking a trip as Grace Life Church to Israel next year. And yeah, hope you're excited about it. 
I think everybody at some point in their life should go to Israel. It, it changes the way you read the Bible. It changes the way you think about God, your faith, everything. When, when you stand and you look at Abraham's grave, when you stand in Magdala and, and see the place where Jesus stood up and preached in the city where Mary Magdalene was from, when you stand at the, the edge of the Sea of Galilee where Peter just stood fishing because he didn't understand why his Lord had died and thought it was all pointless, when you do those kind of things, the way you read the Bible is transformed forever. And so we, we want to go ahead and let you know about what's going on. We, we, we're going to have an interest meeting in January for all of our international trips next year. We've already told you about that. That tells you about this again. But I, I think in the fine print here, I, I'm old and didn't read my reading glasses, so I, I can't really tell you what that says. But it's supposed to tell you how to get connected to an email where we're going to go ahead and send you the itinerary, some information about costs, so you can go ahead and begin planning. It is October of 2020. But... We want you to be thinking in advance because Israel's not cheap. It's just not a cheap trip. And, and that's one reason that sometimes people never go. So we want you to go ahead and be thinking, hey, maybe we need to change our vacation plans a little bit. And maybe we need to adjust our travel dates for the year. We want you to already be thinking if you'd like to be a part of this. Space is limited, and we do already have some people saying we want to be a part of it. So we just want to go ahead and, and give you the opportunity to do that. And so uh, take these, do whatever you feel like God would put on your heart. Hopefully we'll... Uh, see a lot of people be a part of seeing their scripture and their faith come to life uh, through Israel. We'd be amiss if we'd spent three weeks talking about what God was doing all around the world and all the lost people that don't know Jesus if we didn't stop and talk about those in the room. It is very easy, even in America and showing up at church week after week, that some of us have not made Jesus our King, our Lord and Savior. And it can come because we think, well, I'm just too busy living life and that's not for me. Sometimes it comes because we understand Jesus died for humanity and we think I'm a human, so I'm good. But you're not. Because even though Jesus died for humanity, it still takes each of us, one at a time, at a point in history, to make an exchange. You see, he offers the free gift of salvation, but we have to receive it. And we have to say, Jesus, this life I've built with me as king, I, I, I want to lay that down, and I want to take the one where you're king. And if you've never done that, I want to help you do that right now. I'm not going to ask you to do anything embarrassing or stand up or whatever. Just right where you're seated, I'm going to lead us all in a conversation with him. Would you all pray with me? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me, and now I do want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning and great purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.